therapist from there was really helpful talking about pacing. That's probably the most useful thing that I learned really. Um, and I think it was a, I knew about pacing in theory and I'd read leaflets about it, but somehow it was just much more useful talking to somebody about it where they could actually give you examples like after half an hour walking, stop for 10 minutes, or, you know, if you're trying to read emails, only do it for 10 minutes and then stop. I suppose I hadn't really associated the cognitive, uh, the brain tiredness. I knew that the physical tiredness um, was something that could be improved with pacing, but I hadn't really um, understood so well how it would affect my brain and also the fact that emotional issues use up energy just as much as physical and and mental ones so i think it was pacing all three aspects that was really a breakthrough for me hi everyone this is sarah the long-haul yogi and you're listening to the long COVID hope podcast podcast that tells the more hopeful stories from people with long COVID. The Long COVID Hope podcast is created by a former long COVID sufferer, myself, for people with long COVID, allies of people with long COVID, and anyone else who's interested in learning about long COVID from the true experts, the people with lived experience of the condition. Today we're talking with Sarah, a now retired NHS doctor who actually caught the virus while working in a hospital. We didn't quite get into the specifics of working in hospitals during the start of the pandemic on the call, but she shared with me later that whilst she did have adequate PPE and was not working directly with COVID positive patients, Sarah says she likely caught COVID from another hospital staff member and that staff to staff, or in fact staff to patient transmission, was not fully appreciated at that time. Sarah and I discuss her first wave long COVID story, her experiences with cold water swimming therapy swimming off the southern England coastline, the E&O opera singing therapy as a breathlessness treatment, amongst many other topics. So without further ado, let's get started. Hi Sarah, thank you very much for joining me on the Long COVID Hope podcast. How are you doing today? I'm doing well, thank you. Just been swimming. Excellent. Um, so we're just start, would you like to just quickly introduce yourself to the listeners, who you are, where, where you are, and what you do? Sure. Uh, yeah, my name's Sarah. I live in the south of England um, and I'm a retired doctor. Great. First, let's just quickly discuss what your life looked like pre-COVID. I take it you were, you were working as a doctor then. What was it like in, like in the, the months before COVID hit, well, what were you doing and, and what was life like? Uh, well, I was working part time. I was doing three days a week and some call shifts. And when I wasn't working, I was quite busy going walking and singing and playing my violin, visiting my parents who were quite elderly and not very well, um, seeing our children. And yeah, pretty, pretty busy, really. Right. Obviously, you were a first waiver. When, when did you first catch COVID then? And what was your acute phase like? Caught COVID at the end of March 2020, um, probably from work. Um, mm. I just became, it was actually, I, um, while I was at work, I became unwell. I felt very cold and shivery. Um, had, I actually was, my temperature was low, it was 35 degrees, although I felt hot. Um, mm -hmm. My pulse was low, about 50. Um, I felt 
yeah, shivery, very tired, very bad headache, uh, neck ache. Um, I just couldn't really do anything, didn't have the energy to do anything. Um, and I felt hot and cold most of the time to the extent I quite often was taking my temperature because I was shivering and thought I had a high temperature and actually it was nearly always a low temperature and that was keeping me awake. So I was like that for a couple of weeks, feeling really pretty poorly, not really doing anything at all. And then for another several months, I was unwell and developed brain fog after about a month, um, had word finding difficulties, difficulty um, processing information, um, for example, when I went to the garden shed, I was holding a mug of coffee. I couldn't work out what I had to do with the coffee to open the shed. You know, in fact, I had to put the cup down and then get the key, things like that. I had to really concentrate on. Mm. Um, um, and word finding problems when I was getting tired. I was needing to sleep a lot, probably two hours after lunch every day. Um, I started getting chest, left-sided chest pain. Um, I had a lot of headaches. So I think that was sort of how the first phase of the illness went and it gradually improved after about four or five months right i take it you work then during that phase yes yeah i can't imagine actually because obviously as a doctor you you're very mentally sharp and then to, to then have brain fog that must have been a challenge yeah very um frustrating and quite um, yeah, I'm worrying, obviously, because you didn't know whether it's going to get better. And I definitely didn't feel mentally or physically well enough to be at work. Yes. Um, I did go back after about five months. Um, I started, they, I had a phased return and I managed about two weeks um, doing okay. And then I got some more symptoms. I had a recurrence of symptoms. I actually got uh, migraines, which I've never had before. Um, and a rash and various other things. So I was off again for a few weeks. Um, then I went back, more phased return, and I managed, um, yeah, I managed mornings, but by the end of the morning, I was having difficulty finding the right words um, and difficulty concentrating, really. Um, and it did gradually improve uh, over a period of about six months. I, I, I reduced my contract down to just mornings at work. Um, and after a couple more relapses, I did manage that for about six, eight months. Um, and then about just over a year ago, I had um, a lot of a lot of my family became ill all at once, um, which was very yeah. stressful. And I think the stress of that uh, caused my last major relapse. Um, and I didn't actually go back to work after that. In the end, I decided to take early retirement. So yes. I took early retirement uh, about eight months ago now. Right, right. Okay. Um, sorry, I'm look at my notes. <laughs> so, in terms of, so you you said that you were you were tired, but you also told me earlier that you didn't exactly have post-exertional malaise. Could you explain, yeah. like, the kind of tiredness that you experienced and things that you would set you back? Do you think? I suppose I would just so for few months I couldn't really walk very far my legs just felt tired as if they were going to crumple under me um, and I knew that it wasn't going to be safe to try walking around the block because I knew I wasn't going to make it for quite a few months really um, and then just gradually I just found I could do a little bit more instead of going around the block I just walked around our back garden because I knew that I could stop after one or two laps around the garden rather than be stranded you know at <laughs> 
on the road <laughs> and I <laughs> gradually built up the amount that I could walk at home um and it was just a feeling of yeah my legs being just very tired and unsteady um my, I felt breathless um I think because of the anxiety of my legs feeling tired um <laughs> and I gradually increased what I could do my husband was really helpful and he we just did very very slow increases in what we could do so there's a place where we go walking which would normally take about half an hour but we just did very small section of that um, and then when I could do a bit more we would take a flask of coffee and I'd walk for 10 minutes and then we sit down for half an hour and then I'd walk for 10 minutes again um, and we just took it really slowly and very gradually I was able to walk more and rest less rest less <laughs> That's good. Yeah, I had a similar experience, to be honest, with walking. Like, I, I realised quite early that other forms of exercise were off the table, but um, walking was something that, that obviously you can do very slowly and very gradually. Um, so it's interesting that you're the same. And it's, it's interesting to hear actually about the feeling in your legs, particularly since you were, it sounds like, an avid hill walker, hiker yeah. before yeah. all of this. Yeah. Um, There's actually someone on the Slack group who suggested that uh, having a rest for 10 minutes meant that you could walk a lot further. And that was that's been a really important message for me, because even now, sometimes if I walk for maybe an hour and then I feel really quite tired, if I stop for 10 minutes and have some coffee and then I, I can walk for another hour quite often. Um, and that's a really useful thing for me, just building in these small rests now. Keep myself yes. going. Yes, that's really, really interesting. In Slack, I'll just say that it's the Body Politic Slack group, yeah. a community. Yeah. Actually, when did you find that and how did you find uh, Slack? Um, well, my daughter found it. I think she saw oh. an article in The Guardian about it. Uh, this was about two months after I got ill, when I was mm. starting to wonder why I was still ill and what was going on and didn't realise that other people had the same thing. Um, mm. So I was very happy that my daughter sent me the link. Um, so yeah, that's how I found it through her. Yes, I'm. I'm so glad I found that community. I don't. I honestly don't know how I would have got through without finding, you know, such a supportive, close knit yeah. group. Um, yeah. I've actually got an interesting question <laughs> that came up. Um, obviously, you, you're a doctor by trade. Um, did, were you aware about post viral conditions like this from your own? practice and training or like was there something that you weren't that aware of I suppose I was aware of it and I was aware of people having had problems after the 1919 flu epidemic and that yes. sort of thing um, yeah but I suppose you don't expect it to happen to you really do you yeah, absolutely not I'm just curious because I'm just wondering if, if like you were able to connect the dots earlier than like a lay person like myself who was just like I've literally no idea what's happening to me <laughs> Yeah, you know I, mean? I think theoretically I knew that it was possible, but I think psychologically it was just really reassuring of finding the group where you saw that there were lots of other people with the same problems and that you, it wasn't just you, it wasn't that there was something wrong with you, it was actually a much more common problem yes. than I'd realised. That was very reassuring to me. Yes, absolutely. And I suppose, obviously, um, COVID-19 is novel coronavirus there's many cases of macfs for instance from lyme or things like that in the past but when no one knew what covid19 would look like in the long term and so and particularly the the constellation of all these different symptoms and different symptoms uh, by by person um was 
has, has always has been really complicated, I suppose. And um, and yeah, absolutely, it was it was really good to start engaging, speaking to other people, and to try and figure things out. Um, so so you you said you learned something off Slack. Did did you um, also speak to your doctor? Did you manage to get some help um, via um, the GP and things like that? Yeah, what happened there? I had, um... It was initially telephone consultations, uh, but that was really helpful. Um, mm. I had the G- GP rang me up um, about once a month um, just to see how I was getting on, and that was really helpful. Um, and I was also referred through occupational health at work um, to the long COVID clinic, locally, mm. um, and the occupational therapist from there was really helpful talking about pacing. That was probably the most useful thing that, I learned really um and I think it was a I knew about pacing in theory and I'd read leaflets about it but somehow it was just much more useful talking to somebody about it where they could actually give you examples like after half an hour walking stop for 10 minutes or you know if you're trying to read emails only do it for 10 minutes and then stop I suppose I hadn't really associated the cognitive uh, the mm. brain tiredness I knew that the physical tiredness um, was something that could be improved with pacing but I hadn't really um, understood so well how it would affect my brain and also the fact that emotional issues use up energy just as much as physical and and mental ones. So I think it was pacing all three aspects that was really a breakthrough for me. Good, good. Um, I mean, your takeaways there are, are the similar ones that I learned. Um, I think, unfortunately, I didn't get that information until a good year into long COVID myself. And so I was like flailing around in like a daily post-social malaise, adrenaline, like frenzy. <laughs> um, but I think it's a really important point that ex- like learning that exertion can be physical, it can be mental and it could also be emotional. And I think like a lot of people, understandably, because you, you know, you're feeling horribly ill, horribly in pain and it's upsetting. But I, I it can be like a vicious circle, I suppose, a vicious cycle around that. I wonder. Yeah. I think after about three months of being ill, I started realising that I was getting quite anxious. Um, mm. And I decided to make a, I made a conscious decision to do as many things as I could to keep my mood up I suppose so although I wasn't able to do very much I made myself a very structured day so that I wasn't having to spend time wondering what to do or thinking about the things I couldn't do but I just knew what I was going to do next so for example I would spend the first hour of the day sitting in the back garden listening to the radio and then I would schedule in I'd get one of my friends to give me a ring I'd basically talk to all the people that I knew um, and, and mm. sort of scheduled in phone calls with them so although I couldn't see people in person I was talking to people um, and there was a radio program it was called the history of the world and 100 objects and it was only 15 minutes long so I decided to listen to one of those before lunch because I could just about concentrate for 15 minutes and then it meant that I had something to talk to my husband about at lunchtime even though I hadn't done anything I had something interesting to talk about um and that sort of thing, I found that was really helpful. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, yes, yeah, so having structures your day and also having 
you know nice things things that give you that give you some joy give you some uplift in in your day like sitting in the garden obviously sitting in the garden in the morning is good for the Caucasian rhythms to have some sunlight the first thing and it's so important to try and keep in touch with people and have the that support network there that's so nice that your friends were were there for you and did, did you feel um did you feel like your friends kind of got it like understood like what yes. you were going through yeah I, I, I think I'm very lucky that I had a lot of support and a lot of support from my singing friends and as well and yeah yeah oh that's so good I'm I'm really glad to hear that and I think um returning to the, the, the point you're saying before I think having structure today is also helpful for pacing <laughs> am I right yes. um because like for me in my pacing I learned to kind of insert rest breaks like throughout my day so I'll be doing something and I rest doing something rest did you have like a similar kind of thing happening do do, do you think yeah I think well initially I really couldn't walk very far at all so it wasn't Mm. so much it was almost the other way around I would have short episodes of doing something like you know 15 minutes of listening to the radio and then be resting for another half an hour or whatever yeah whereas now it's reversed and so now I've just been I just cycled to the swimming pool went for a swim cycled back and then I knew I was going to be talking to you. So I thought, well, I better have half an hour just sitting down having a coffee before I talk to you because that was going to be like brain work. Um, <laughs> so it's, so it's, I, I, yeah, I do, pay, I, I put a sort of gap in my diary. I actually write it in, you know, write, sit down and rest at 11 o'clock or whatever. And I still always try and have a sleep after lunch. And I don't always need to sleep, but I need to just get away from, um, distractions and conversations and give my brain a rest as as well as my body so yeah yes. I definitely have a structure to the day and as long as I keep to that structure I'm you know I can do most of the things I want to do now that's great I'm so glad to hear that you did you went cycling and you went swimming like for someone obviously you're saying about um, being very exercise intolerant and your muscles were, were feeling heavy and everything so it's it's really great to hear that that so that's part of your life again. <laughs> um, so let's talk about your singing and concerts and things. So did would, were you having difficulties with your with your breathing? Did you have any shortness of breath, things like that, COVID or not? I did have that after about eight months, yeah. Um, right. I got quite breathless. I, I was lucky enough to be, have a GP appointment when I went straight in to see her. I didn't have to wait in the waiting room and she could see I was breathless just from walking there um mm. and which was very unusual for me because I was obviously not normally breathless at all um and <clears throat> she did the exercise the the sit to stand in a, a minute test um I can't remember yep. what that's called um I didn't actually I did, they did chest x-rays um and oxygen sat so I didn't actually get referred to a clinic well I did get referred to a clinic but by the time I got to the appointment I was a lot better so I didn't go but what I did have which was really helpful was the ENO breathe uh, program which is okay uh, so could you could you explain what that is maybe people haven't heard about it yeah so it's a program run English National Opera um, run a series it was once a week for I think six weeks um, where they're talking they're focusing on breathing techniques um, because a lot of people with anger who get breathless also have a component of anxiety and learning to breathe properly can help with the breathing and with the anxiety 
Um, and also there was singing involved and because I was I like singing that was I really wanted to do that of course um, yeah yeah positive thing and again seeing other people on the videos with a, in a similar situation was was nice as well yeah it's lovely I mean it's an interesting point actually uh, the connection between breathing and anxiety because of course if if, if you have um, some breathing dysfunction if you're not getting enough oxygen in then of course that's going to cause physical anxiety in the body because your your body is saying, oh, this isn't enough. It doesn't feel like enough. Um, so obviously, again, there's a, um, it can be like a reciprocal thing. Um, could you um, maybe um, talk about like one one um, breathing exercise or thing you learnt via the ENO um, that other listeners might be able to do? You talk about um, you remember anything in particular? Well, yeah, they talk about rectangular breathing, which is when you breathe in for maybe the count of ten, but breathe out for twenty. So you're breathing yes. out is longer than you're breathing in, basically. Um, right. And there's various exercises to do that, and that helps to calm you down. I think. Yeah. And, and the other thing is, think if you're starting to feel anxious, to picture yourself in a very beautiful place or somewhere that you find relaxing, and sort of using that in a way to calm yourself yes yes really interesting in in, in yoga we call it lengthening the out breath <laughs> but obviously if we're doing that um it, it um triggers the parasympathetic response doesn't it and it can be very calming and of course if if, if you're focused on counting breaths and, and deepening your breath then then you're getting more oxygen in like you're, you're, you can you can ensure when if you're focusing your attention on, on what your lungs are doing, you can, um, you know, completely fill your lungs and things like that, um, which I'm sure is something you do when you're singing. <laughs> so what, what, what yes. kind of obviously it's by the opera. Um, what kind of singing were, were, did you do? What kind of songs? It was very simple folk songs. It was very, mm -hmm. um, very easy things. So sometimes it was lullabies, um, sort of peaceful things to sing. Um, mm. You didn't have to join in, but uh, and then nobody could hear you because you're on mute. But it was just nice to to do that at the end of the session. Yeah, that's lovely. And and you said you 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 met people via that as well. Um, do you yes, think everybody? I didn't actually stay in touch with any of them, but I think some people did stay in touch afterwards as a group. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's so nice. Um, I did hear about that. I think, um, because I, I heard from my from my long COVID clinic, and um, I think at the time, because I was having a lot of breathing problems, I just thought like I can't possibly sing. That sounds that sounds like too much for me. But it it does sound like a, a genuinely lovely thing to do if 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 you if you have the capacity, I suppose. Um. Because I found that with my own singing as well, that for quite a long time I wasn't able to do any at all, um, which was mainly more to do with fatigue rather than breathlessness and actually the, you know, having the energy to drive to where the rehearsal was and, and stand up and, and that sort of thing. And so for quite a long time I didn't go singing at all. And then, But they were very encouraging, the people who run the choir. And so I then just went maybe for just the morning instead of the whole day and... I knew it was all right to sit down if I needed to or go and have a rest. And yeah, so that was that's been very encouraging, gradually being able to increase that with people not minding that you weren't doing everything, but just happy that you were there doing some of it. I think that was one of the big things for me to get my head around that I didn't have to do everything. I, as long, even if I just did part of what I was doing before, that's still a really positive thing to do. 
Um, and once I realized that that was okay and people weren't judging me for not doing everything, it was much easier. And then you gradually can increase what you're doing. Great. Sorry, just having a coughing fit there, <laughs> ironically. Um, yeah, that's great. I'm wondering as well, like, do you think that there is a connection between like the breathing exercises, the singing, improving your lung function, having a knock-on effect with what you'll be able to do physically? Did you find anything there? I think so, yeah. I think um, I, I like swimming as well. Um, mm -hmm. Swimming and gradually increasing how far you could swim or how many strokes you do in front crawl before you breathe and that sort of thing. I think it's um, a sort of a, a structured way of trying to improve your breath control and that. It's a bit, I think it's it's partly that the breathing helps you physically, but I think also when you're better physically, that means that it's easier to breathe. I think it's both ways around. Yes, absolutely. Um, at one point then, did you did you try to go swimming again in your long COVID timeline? Um, like at what point? I live quite near the sea, so I was going oh. near the sea because I started getting oh. chest pain, and I saw on the um the um Slack group that some people were finding that cold water was helping chest pain and I thought well the sea's a whole lot of cold water and that I'll, I'll go swimming and um yeah that was very nice because again that gave structure to my day even if I only swam for five minutes it's a nice thing to do and being outside I think being outside is really helpful for my mental health yes so that's a really interesting point about cold water therapy um yeah um I can't remember exactly, but it, again, I think uh, it helps with like vagal toning and things yeah. like that to kind of launch yourself into <laughs> really cold water. Obviously, off the coast of of um, England, the water is not exactly warm, is it? <laughs> did no. you find? I mean, maybe you were you did you used to do that before, um, like long COVID? Did you go swimming in the sea where you are? Were you used to that really cold water and the experience of that? <laughs> Well, oh, actually, ironically, I had previously mainly been in the swimming pool um, right. because the, the because the pools were shut um, with COVID and because it felt safer to be outside and because yeah. I just wanted to be outside in the sun. I suppose I just suddenly realised how much nicer it was being in the sea um, and that became a really nice structure during the summer. It was just a nice thing to do. And I had friends who would come down with me um and encouraged me just to do a little bit more than last time and bring a flask of coffee and have a chat so it became a social thing as well as the swimming that's great um so for people that are interested in cold water therapy but might not have tried it um how bracing does it feel <laughs> to like go into like fresh water or seawater like um is it quite shocking to the system or is it Okay, like how how do you ease yourself in? Well, I, the temperature in the swimming pool, I think today was 29 degrees. The temperature okay. in the sea when I started at the end of May was 11. Um, right. So it's quite a difference. Um, yeah. <laughs> and it is a bit shocking when you go in. Um, and to start off with, I had a, I don't like wetsuits, but I used a sort of um, wetsuit top and shorts to make give myself uh, a bit more layering. But even with that, it is quite cold. Um, but it has it does really help if you have a, a, a warm, a neoprene swimming hat on, because then you don't get the headache. The headache, you sometimes get a headache from your head getting very cold. Um, mm -hmm. But if you have that, then just being in for five, ten minutes, was you get used to it, and it's very bracing, feel much better, feel very cheerful when you come out. 
Yes. It must be, it must, I haven't tried it myself, but I imagine it must feel like almost like a reset somehow, like yeah. you really need to, so yeah. invigorating. Yeah. <laughs> you, you definitely feel alive doing something like that. Yeah. 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 I, my, my only point of reference, I suppose, is I used to go skiing and at the ski resorts, you'd to go in the sauna and then you'll run outside and roll in the snow. <laughs> and I feel like maybe that is a bit like that. It is an experience. <laughs> but I've never, I've never tried uh, cold water swimming myself so maybe I should <laughs> um you also said um then that so so you, you know you, you're doing the, the swimming you're doing the singing you, you know you're obviously um trying lots of things to improve um how did you get to the point where you were back to walking um distances then like at what point did you get to where you are today in terms of the walking component I think it's just been very gradual so I think about a year ago just over a year ago I got up to the point of being able to manage about six or seven miles right. um, one go which was pretty good then yes. I had that was just before my last main relapse and then I went down obviously then to not doing very much I then had to build up very gradually um, but about four or five months after that relapse I went to visit a friend who lives in the Lake District and um, I went walking with him and, and he was quite encouraging for me to try a hill um, and I knew I was going to be really slow but he was very very patient with me and I managed to do about 500 feet which isn't all that much ascent but it was the first ascent I'd done at all and yep. um, I think the fact that I managed it and he was he was just very patient and he walked behind me so I didn't feel like I was trying to catch up with him he, he psychologically he was very helpful I think so yeah. he was behind, so I didn't feel like I was particularly going, you know, keeping anyone waiting. Um, and because nice. I think after a while, it is a, a big psychological component and anxiety about managing, trying slight increases in what you're doing. And so that was that was really helpful. Yeah, I mean, a 500 feet ascent is not nothing when, you know, when, when you've had a long period of like, only walking on flat ground yeah. or things like that yeah. like that sounds great <laughs> quite frankly and you can see um so the lake district is, is a national park here in um the uk and um it's says lovely great big lakes but if you if you get up a bit then you obviously have, have, probably saw some wonderful views yeah. from where you yeah. were that's lovely and it was just very yeah just felt very i just felt very happy being there just the yeah yeah, that's really nice. Um, I mean, walking six, seven miles, that's that's brilliant. And I'm sure a lot of listeners on the call listening to this might be like, you know, thrilled to hear about that sort of distance. Um, so, so in terms of getting to that point, were, like, did, were, were you walking um, like a bit every day? Like what kind of thing were you doing? Obviously you were listening to your body working within the limits yeah. but um I'm just wondering if you have any particular advice <laughs> yeah people wanting well, to get to that go out every day um I yeah. think that's really helps not just physically but psychologically as well and I think I listen to, yeah listen to my body I try and do as much as I can um but I stop once I feel tired I would stop and have about a 10 minute rest so at the moment I can walk for about an hour um, and then I need probably 10 minutes rest. So I always have a flask with coffee and some snacks as well, because that's quite, that's quite helpful if you 
I think if you're starting to get hungry, then it definitely increases the tiredness. Um, mm-hmm. So I would walk for an hour, have a snack, and then usually if I'm walk for another hour now, and I suppose like, it's just very gradually increasing to do that. Um, and having support from friends who didn't mind just doing short walks uh, and just accepting that it's going to take probably months to increase and that I think the most difficult thing is that if you have a bad day sometimes you find you can only do maybe one or two miles whereas you've done five the week before but that's just how long COVID recovery is it's not a linear improvement it's very up and down and it's very easy to get discouraged by bad days and I did get discouraged by bad days but I had a lot of positive people around me who helped me to to not feel too discouraged and to just realize that this is just a bad day and tomorrow is probably going to be better yes I mean absolutely like there's peaks and troughs with 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 this sort of illness isn't there and um yeah like and I think also the opposite happens with people is that they might like do too much on a good day they might feel like oh I feel great and I'm going to do loads more things and then and then it sets them back again you know what I mean it's like trying to find that balance isn't it but yeah absolutely like particularly if you have a day where you relapse and you have a big increase in symptoms um it's important to to try and I guess have a bit of perspective that it will pass you know and you will feel better another day Yeah. yeah I mean I've had maybe three or four relapses I guess and each time it feels very demoralizing but actually when you look at the bigger picture you can see that even during the relapse you're usually doing better than you were during the previous relapse and after the relapse you can walk further than you could after the previous relapse and the general trend is still improvement but you have to look at it from a longer time not worry too much about individual daily variations but more about how you are this month compared with last month or, or even this year compared with last year yeah yeah, absolutely. And to be fair, you said on a bad day you were walking one to two miles. Well, that's still that's still good, uh, you know, in terms of a lot of um, what long callers are going through. And I know for, for you said uh, yourself um, you haven't, you know, had a diagnosis for MECFS post-COVID and you, you said you haven't um, experienced post-social malaise particularly. I just want to say for, for listeners on the call that obviously are very much aware of the fatigue component and how um, for, for a lot of people, um, you know, walking distances m- might be a much kind of more gradual process. But um, I do genuinely believe that everybody, if you, if you chip away at it, if you listen to your body, and you you know just just um find your energy envelope and then and then slowly kind of like push on it slightly 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 um you can improve i'm i'm yes. i'm confident that everybody can <laughs> yes i mean i had a, a there's one particular walk which when i was feeling fit before i got covid i could probably do in half an hour um and i went with my husband and did it I, I did a much shorter version of it one month and then a, a month later we went back and did maybe an extra five minutes um, and then a month later we did you know we just gradually increased to, to the half to that half an hour walk and so it took us months to get up to doing half an hour walks and to start off with we were, were walking for 10 minutes and resting for half an hour and then walking for 10 minutes so it took about two hours doing a walk which would have normally taken half an hour um, 
And at the time, I felt really pleased that I eventually managed to do a half an hour walk. But now looking back on it, I'm pleased if I do a five mile walk. So it just shows how your perspective changes. And yeah, you, you do improve, but it's so slow that um, you almost mm -hmm. don't notice. Yeah. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And it also, um, I think we, we said um, earlier that um, it's helpful for, you know, helpful mentally to not keep comparing how you are now to how you were before you came down with long COVID. Um, it's, it's, I mean, would you agree? Um, yes, definitely. I would say that it's, it's, I tried really hard not to compare myself with how I was before, because before I could maybe I was doing 12 miles and climbing 2,000 feet in a day or whatever. And it's really, it's, it's very demoralizing comparing yourself with that because you're not back to that yet. But if I compare myself now with how I was and after the first two months of COVID, there's no comparison at all. You know, my life is just so much better. I can do so many more things. And it's just, I find it much more positive comparing, just looking at the improvements rather than yes. where you're trying to go. Yes, yes, absolutely. Like, I think for everybody, the trajectory is, is upward, but it's the timeline is obviously greatly variable. Um, I'm just reminded of the expression, like, comparison is the thief of joy. I think that it, it's best not to keep kind of dwelling on, like, comparing how things were to now, rather just focus on the now and, and, and um, try and, um, like, realize all the things that you that you do have now and you are capable of doing and you have in your life um i think that's rather than what what you lack i suppose i think yes i think so and also in order to do things that you enjoy well for me anyway it was important for me to realize i couldn't do them in quite the same way as before but i could still do them if i modified it a little bit so like with my singing i couldn't do a three-hour rehearsal and then um pub meal and then a two-hour concert but I could manage most of the three-hour rehearsal then a sleep in my car and a picnic in the car and then do the concert for example and so it's not exactly the same as it was before but it's so much better than not trying to do it at all and so that's a big thing I learned was that if you could modify what you're doing just to even maybe just do part of what you were doing before it's much better than not doing it yes and rest breaks in the car is a good idea i've also done that so many times um, pillow in the back pillow on the back seat and a, and a fleece on the back seat and spare food and yeah hot water bottle if it's a cold day yeah yeah for me personally i have um meditation breaks and that's the way that i kind of fully rest um but i'll do a lot of meditations in the car like if i had to like i don't know drive to the shop or I don't know what to make sure that I would enforce a rest as well yeah yeah I think also explaining to people that you need a rest and I've found that you know virtually everyone has been really understanding and even if maybe I can't do two hours of singing but I can do an hour and a half and then people, people don't mind you know if they understand why you're having to stop then it's fine and I think that's just learning to accept that it's all right to tell people and ask for a bit of help and they, on the whole people are really helpful yes and is, is that like a um, an in-person like choir that you're that you're going to yeah. then yeah. oh lovely that's yeah. really nice yeah it's I mean it's so great to have like community like groups and things that that, that you're a part of isn't it 
yes. That's really nice. Um, okay. Um, aware of the time. So let's have a, a, I mean, you've obviously mentioned it a little bit, but what, what does your life look like now? Obviously you're, you know, two and three quarter years into long COVID. Like what, like, what does your life look like now? Well, I would say that I can do most of the things I want to as long as I'm pacing myself. Maybe mm-hmm. not as in, I can't do them for as long as before, but I could be like, I can go for a cycle, I can go for a swim, I can go for a walk, um, I can um, meet my friends, uh, I can do all the music that I like. I think the, the limitations for me are happen if I don't pace myself properly. So if I don't have my rest after lunch, I find it bit difficult or if I'm in a big crowd of people with lots of people talking at the same time my brain finds it quite difficult to filter out conversations mm-hmm. so I'm um, there are a few things that I don't do now because I know they're going to be difficult like those big group meals or I would tend to see my friends in smaller groups rather than going for a meal where there's 20 people all talking at once I'd try and see a few people one at a time um, but now that I've worked out what works for me, I can do most of the things that I want to do. That's good. And I think trying to reduce the stress has definitely helped. I mean, I was in a fortunate position that I could take early retirement, and I think that has helped. Um, I had a lot of other stress because both my parents died earlier this year, so there was a lot of things to, to cope with. And I think reducing the stresses in, in ways that I could was very helpful. Yes, absolutely. I'm so sorry to hear about your parents. And um, yeah, obviously, when when you've got a chronic condition, like trying to reduce stress is important. But at the same time, you know, life happens and yeah. things will come at you unexpectedly yeah. and yeah. things like that. Um, in terms of stress management, then, um, I guess you've you've talked about getting out of the house, walking and things like that. But is there anything else that that, that is helpful from that perspective? stress <laughs> um, well I suppose pacing myself and making mm. sure that I'm not trying to do I think making sure that I'm not trying to do too much in one day is the best way of not getting too stressed um and you know prioritizing and realizing that maybe four of the things in my diary I do need to do today but maybe the other three I could wait and just getting better at deciding what's important and um not just doing jobs but doing things that are enjoyable and that give you joy um yes. boost your mood yeah so not worrying about the dusting if I can talk to a friend or something like that mm-hmm. yeah I think there's a lot to be said for that and I think you know in in our society and our culture of the go 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 I think it's really important to um for everybody to look after themselves and you know consider like prioritize I suppose and then like um, not take on too much, I suppose, and in, you know, to alleviate stress. And I think yeah, also that's... to realise that when you get start getting tired, then that is usually when people start feeling a bit more miserable and anxious. And yes. so if, you, if, if you're feeling anxious or upset at the end of the day, quite often you just need to go to bed and have a rest. It's not that anything has got worse. It's just that your perspective has altered because you're tired and the next morning it maybe always looks better. Yes, absolutely, absolutely. Um, one thing I notice actually is is when I'm working on my computer or something, if I'm getting tired, I actually like have um, 
moments of like stopping breathing, like having gaps when I'm not breathing. And that obviously has a huge knock on effect. And suddenly I feel incredibly anxious, but then I like, I'm, you know, I mindfully realize, oh, it's because I'm holding my breath. I'm, I'm focusing on something and I'm holding my breath and it just makes everything worse. <laughs> anyway, that's a bit of an aside. That's interesting. <laughs> yeah. I find yeah, that but... I know when I'm tired, if I start sometimes saying the wrong words, that's my sign mm. that I need to stop and have a rest. Um, and it's quite easy to get anxious about why you're saying the wrong words. But actually, for me, if I have my lunch and have a rest, then it's much better. So it just gets better with, with rest. That's good. Um, so uh, before we um, sign off, um, is there anything in particular that you'd like to say to others with non-COVID? Any message? I think, yeah, it's, 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 I think the main thing is staying patient and optimistic. And I think most of us, most certainly most of us that I've known on the Slack group are improving and it just takes a very long time and I think trying to stay positive and doing things, structuring your day to Im- improve your mental health is really important. That's what I was doing you know, in the early days and I'm still trying to do it now is I'm trying to put in things that are going to make you happy um, and reduce stress. Um, and I think because I think stress delays recovery. Um, yeah, so I think just staying positive and believing that you're going to get better and doing very small things to to help, having to have the patience, not you can't go from walking for 10 minutes to walking for three hours overnight. But for, for me, yeah, that's taken three years, but I have got there. Um, mm-hmm. And I think that will happen with most other people as well. That's great. Well, thank you so much for your time, Sarah. It's been nice to speak to you. You're welcome. Nice to speak to you too. Thank you for listening to the Long COVID Hope podcast today. We sincerely hope you've enjoyed listening and got something out of it. Please note we are not medical professionals and this does not constitute medical advice. Always speak to your doctor or medical prep practitioner before starting any new treatments, supplements or beginning a new exercise routine. You can learn about me, Sarah, the long haul yogi, via my Linktree, which is linktree.com forward slash long haul yogi. I'm on Instagram and Twitter at the same long haul yogi handle. I offer weekly yoga for long COVID sessions most Thursdays, which are online via Zoom and are completely open access and donation based. I also have an on-demand yoga series, which you can purchase and tune into at your own time. I'm on YouTube, I'm on Insight Timer, and I do some private classes as well. All of the Yoga for Long COVID series is incredibly gentle and focused on listening to your body and going at your own pace. Again, all of this good stuff can be found at linktree.com forward slash longhauljogi. If you'd like to make a donation in support of this podcast, you can find the link to buy me a chai on Linktree as well. Thank you in advance for any donations. They're gratefully received and really do help me to build on and improve this podcast. Lastly, I wanted to say to you, wherever you are in your long COVID or chronic health journey, know that things can improve. Keep the hope alive. Speak to you next time.